Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. How you doing? I know you're a little disappointed Saturday you ran a marathon, another one, you're the marathon man, in Tennessee, <laughs> your home state, your hometown now, where you, where you live yep. with your beautiful family, and uh, you came in fourth, so... I, I know that I think I think the way it sounds, the way the race went, that you were your own worst enemy in in some ways, which <laughs> we usually are, to be quite frank. Yeah. Um. That you know you just thought of it in one way that you know, like a fight, I'm going to win. You're not thinking about any other strategic stuff, which you do have to think about, quite frankly. But I mean, um, the strategy kind of went out the window. And it it yeah. always has to be attached to the physical part. And I think the thing yeah. in a few minutes we're going to talk about is a beautiful example of that. It kind of piggybacks that the Ryan Garcia debacle, uh, if you will, uh, especially if you're back of Garcia against Tank Davis because strategy went out the window. I don't even know if strategy yeah. was ever in the window, you know, <clears throat> the, <laughs> the, way, the way it played out. But... We we know he's a talented kid, Garcia, and he's got the physical abilities, but that's not all it's about. And um, so give the fans, because I know you got a lot of fans out there that really follow your marathoning career, and um, you know they're going to be disappointed you you came in fourth, but they're going to be also proud that in such a tough field that hey, you you're still you're competing at that level at your age. And um, I believe they were younger guys. You, it wasn't a master's class, from what I understand. It was just a plain marathon. So you were competing against younger people, everybody, and um, and you, you, uh, you wound up coming in fourth. Give, give a breakdown of it. Yeah, yeah, no, you described it perfectly. It was uh, I was racing in the open division, meaning no age groups. Just I just wanted to. My only goal there was to win the whole race. That's what I was trying to do. I didn't even tell anyone or very few people that I was even going to run it because I don't know. I was. I think I didn't even want to admit to myself that I was running another one so close after Tokyo. So I just was just going to show up, try to win, and then in my mind I was like, I'm going to win and be like, Hey, guess what? I won a marathon this weekend. And uh, so right from the jump, I went out fast with an African kid. And uh, my best marathon was 228, which is 539 per mile. And that was if doing everything perfectly. So we went out at like the first mile was just under five minutes, I think. And then we were running like 519, 520. We went, we went through 10 miles at under 530 pace. And I was like, this is way too hot. And eventually I, I kept thinking he's trying to see if he can like, get away from me, I'm going to stay with him. And then he's going to eventually pull back and I'll just ease up with him. And I was just sitting on him. I never took the lead. I purposely stayed right behind him because it's so irritating when someone's running right behind you. So I was just trying to play games and hoping that he'd overextend himself, even though I knew I was overextending myself, that we'd both kind of have a silent agreement to recover together. And then eventually I'd just sit on him, sit on him and wear him down probably I think a little bit like Ryan in that I came out on fire and I know that I can't keep that pace, but I was like, maybe I can get this guy out of there and he'll drop off and then I'll just dial it back and conserve a little and I'll strategically figure out a way to win if I can break him. But the opposite happened and I got caught with a body shot and limped in. 
I mean, if I had been strategic, I definitely think I would have got second overall, but I only wanted to win. So second, fourth, it didn't really matter. I only wanted to win the race. So I limped in, a guy passed me with a mile to go to get the last podium spot for third overall. But um, yeah, like you said, I just was like, I, I only want to, at that, at that type of race, anything other than a world marathon major, I want to win just like Rob, Rob Moore, our producer who won the uh, Surf City Marathon. I got second there one year to a guy who was like a professional runner from Princeton. He was just, sometimes you just never know who's going to show up, but all you can do when, is when just did Rob, start swinging. Rob didn't run this weekend, did he? I didn't, oh, no, no, no. He won in uh, last, last February. Oh, yeah, we he won the Surf that. City Marathon. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was, give the fans what the final winning time was and what your time was. Yeah, so the the winner ran two twenty seven, which on that the course was brutally hard. It was like hotter than Boston and New York, which are notoriously hard races. A lot of hills. Um, the weather was perfect, though. It was great conditions. Everything, all the everything. I had no excuses. The conditions were perfect. It was a really tough course. I have a lot of miles. You mean this there was, was no spy? There was no spy in your camp. <laughs> no, no. I just I I only had one saboteur, and that was myself. I sabotaged myself by usually being stupid. is that way. But I I don't think I could be I couldn't beat that guy if I raced him ten times. Two twenty seven on that course is too fast for me. But a for what was your you time? What was your time? I know it was. I ran uh, two two thirty seven, and for context, I ran two twenty nine in Tokyo six weeks before. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that was the slowest I've run in years. But uh, only because, like I said, I just went all in in the first few rounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ended up just getting to the finish line and hanging on for dear well, life. Well, I wonder how your protege did because uh, we went out again to the same restaurant we talked about last week. Me and my family, um, my son in law Jeff liked it. And so, yeah, and I like it too. You know, they support the foundation, the charity foundation. I told you that. So we go. So we went there again. And of course, the bartender, this time I got his name, Vinny Lombardi, baby. <coughs> the, uh, yeah, I said, I got to get your name. He, he listened. He was, he was all excited. He came over to the table. He goes, I heard the podcast, you know. <laughs> so I said, give me your name because if we're going to talk about you, I should give you your freaking name. And um, so anyway, he was getting ready to run a half marathon on Sunday in Brooklyn. So I, I hope he did well. I, I have no idea how he did, but next time we go out to dinner, I guess I'll find out. But um, your, your protege, uh, he will be glad to hear that, well, he won't be glad to hear that you didn't win, but he'll be glad to hear that his man is out there competing at his top effort at all times, as always, and that... um. A lot of people would love to get the time you got, you know, even though it's like eight minutes off of uh, your usual uh, time, but they, they'd love to be able to get that, that kind of time, uh, especially not to mention at your age. But anyway, Vinny Lombardi, hopefully, uh, hopefully you're, you got a little spring in your step there this week <laughs> as your bartending uh, having won the Brooklyn Half Marathon. Go ahead. Vinny, Vinny, next time you're running a marathon, please don't work the night before. Take a day off. Give yourself. No, a no, break. I don't think he but did. That was Friday night. He, oh, good. He was oh, okay. he was running on Sunday, so he probably okay. had off uh, Saturday. I would assume anyway. All right, before the fans go crazy, saying enough with this BS, get to the tank fight. The last thing I'll say is, you know. To your point where you say a lot of people would like to run that time. I get that. There's a part of me that understands that and knows that. Like, yeah, I never want to sound like a narcissist or arrogant. But if if you get into that mindset that like, yeah, that's good for other people and I'm satisfied with that. Well, then 
I couldn't be who I am if I was happy with doing something that was below what I think I am capable of. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you're damned if you do damned. Yes, I should enjoy whatever I do and there should be an element of, of pride, but there's also something that drives me to be like, oh, you could have done better. And it's like finding the right balance there can be challenging. So yes, for context, for everyone out there, yes, I know that's a fast time for a lot of people, but so it's like, yeah, part of me appreciates it, but there's another part that's like, come on, we gotta do better than that. So. I don't know, it's a double-edged sword, a, a blessing and a curse. Let's talk about the real fight that everyone's here to talk about. Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, started out like a, a house on fire. I mean, I thought Ryan Garcia didn't look intimidated. He was in there roughhousing. I was actually surprised that the ref was letting him get away with as much rough stuff early as, as, they, as he was. I mean, the first round was total feeling out, almost like that. Garcia camp was like let's feel him out and the second round he just came out in full attack mode but the minute he got dropped in whatever it was the second or third round whenever he got caught he 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 absorbed it and seemed to respond pretty well in terms of physically he had his legs under him but the game plan was seemed to be out the window at that point it was almost like he got cracked and was like oh my god this guy cracks much harder than I thought and to, this is at least what I saw. And the action slowed down considerably. And then Tank slowly started to gain confidence, started to figure him out, just like he typically does, wearing him down, looking for setting traps, trying to trap Ryan into different moves. And then he hit him right as Ryan was throwing a punch and had himself fully extended. He caught him with a perfect body shot. And I think that a lot of people underestimate. underestimate. And I saw Regis Progress send out a tweet about this saying, People underestimate. It's one thing to get hit in the body when you see it coming. Like at the UFC, a guy gets kicked in the body. He, he's ready. He absorbs it, but it still hits his body. But when you're fully extended and your arm is out and you're leaned over in a certain way and you get punched in the ribs that hot or in the liver, wherever he got hit, it's like crippling and debilitating. Initially, it's easy to think, Maybe he quit there. It looks like he could, could have got up right at the 10 count, but it looked to me like every time he tried to get up, he like kind of like tried to catch his breath again where he was just seemed to be frozen. I don't think he quit, but I'm dying to get your thoughts on um, how you think he looked, his reaction. He got up right on the 10 count, but um, to, I'm curious to hear what, you, what, what your um, thoughts are on whether he quit or whether he was like legitimately just frozen with that body shot. But lots to discuss here. Yeah, only he knows, you know, as far as that. So I yeah. won't speculate on that too much. I'll just give my experience to to kind of color in a little bit around it. But only, Ryan, I'm not in his body. You're not in his body. Nobody out there is in the body or, or in his mind or in his heart. Uh, only Ryan is. So it's between him and God, um, as some people might say, uh, as far as what actually transpired. But we can put things in context, you know, in history. Uh, I asked Rob to reach out for some videos. My son got them for me, so I sent them over to Rob, uh, some clips to put up there, and he'll put them up, where it plays on both sides of the coin, so to speak, where there's been people, first of all, historically, a punch to the liver is one of the most crippling, debilitating punches in the history of my sport, our sport boxing uh it's it's it just is and there's been many 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 fighters that have been conquered by that punch many uh go back to one of to my mentors fighter jose torres who won the light heavyweight title he was a silver medalist from the olympics shawi torres he won a title against a really good boxer willie pastrano but with a liver shot so it, it goes and that was all the way back in the 50s so it goes back 
forever in this sport that it is just a just a damaging, as I said, the right word, debilitating punch. Uh, and a lot of fighters have been conquered by that punch. But there's fighters that have also overcome it. See, I always like to give a full x-ray of everything. I think people look for that on this show, to be quite frankly, from the two of us. And um, so I asked Rob to put up some, and you'll you see some of them up there, where there have been guys, and they've been hurt by the punch, just like Ryan was, and like everybody else in the history of the sport that gets hit with it. Uh, you know, nobody, it's, it's everybody's kryptonite. Uh, you get hit there. There's no protecting. Some people out there say, oh, you should do more sit-ups. No, no, no. You get hit on that organ, there's no protection. Only protection is keeping your elbow in, not getting hit there, blocking it. But um, And the rest of it is just a matter of, you know, how much you, how badly you got caught and um, how flush and, and your mental state. Your physical, but your mental state, your will, your, it goes to those places. You know, if you can somehow, somehow find the resolve, you know, to, to, to survive it long enough to be back in a fight. And there have been, as I said, there's been some, and I wanted the fans to see those. You know, one of them was Arturo Gatti, the late Arturo Gatti. Gatti, God bless him. He was a warrior, and um, he got caught in that, in that epic, iconic ninth round in their first meeting between Ward and Gaddy, uh, that ninth round was one of the greatest rounds in the in the history of the sport. And there's been a lot of great rounds. That that's up there in the top five, maybe the top three. And it was it was that good. It was that incredible. It was a it was like reading a novel. I mean, different chapters of people's lives right in front of you in one round, up and down, and. It was back and forth. Ward was just a great deliverer of that punch. He knew how to get it in there clean. He knew how to set it up. He knew how to pinpoint it. And he caught him with his forte, with his, you know, Sunday punch. Uh, the left hook to the liver. And, man, he was paralyzed for a second. He being Gaddy. He was paralyzed. He was gripped by that that pain. I mean, it, it just grips you. It strangles you like a python in the jungle would drop out of a tree and strangle the life out of you, the breath out of you. That's what it does. And he was being, you know, the breath was being strangled out of him. Uh, and, and again, you, you, could, you could feel it almost. It was, it, was, it was almost palatable where you could feel his pain. You know what I mean, Ken, when somebody says, oh, it's like you go, oh, you know, yourself. And he was about to go down, but he didn't go down. He just... He found a way. He found a way not to go down, and he survived it. By the end of the round, he was coming back, and he was having his moments. You saw it with another guy. I'll tell you, probably would never get this kind of credit anywhere else, but Keith Thurman, who's a terrific boxer, terrific fighter. He's not active enough. He's had injuries, everything else. But uh, this is a guy that was hot for a while there, and he, he fought on ESPN against Luis Colazzo on on my air on ESPN and um, it was the first PPC fight I think with their new contract the new deal with ESPN I called the fight and he's winning the fight handily and then Colazzo I forget what round it was but he catched him and left hook to the liver and he hurt him again of course 
but he ran. He he ran like a thief. And 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 uh, but but a thief not stealing from you. A thief that didn't want anything more stolen from him. <laughs> that's different. That that's that's different. And he ran until he until he recovered, and then the next round he was able to get back. And so again, the point I'm making is it's a devastating punch, but there's people that have not survived it as obviously added to that list now is ryan garcia there's people that have survived it and i just gave a couple of them um there's other ones out there but you know we gave a couple and what i also put out there which robert put up is the impact and the results that many people have felt uh obviously besides ryan where they don't get up and the and the ironic thing about it is this one was the his promoter, Ryan Garcia's own promoter, De La Hoya, when he got hit with that punch against Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins. And, and he was, I remember that he was, one. I was at that fight. He was withering, were you? He was withering in pain, withering. See, that's yeah. the differentiation here for me. I'm not saying you have to be withering in pain, but it was obvious that De La Hoya couldn't get up, I guess you could say. I usually don't say that because you never know what a human being could do. You never know. You never know. We are special sometimes. We can be special. We can find ways. We can go to uncharted courses in our own universes, if you will, at certain times. But he got... Teddy, you want to have a perfect example? If you watch the movie, or especially if you read the book Lone Survivor about Marcus Luttrell, the Navy SEAL, who got pinned down. I read that book. I read that book when I was in camp, one of my training camps over in Russia. Yeah, I think he had a broken back. He was shot multiple times. Basically, when he got blown up the first time and, and got thrown off the side of a cliff by the Taliban, I think at one point he it blew all his clothes off. I think he was basically either he was naked or down to his underwear with a broken back and several gunshot wounds, and he survived for that's days until the about. Taliban. The, that's what I mean when I go to these places. Villagers, when you're, yeah. That's the thing is when you're fighting for your life, when you have everything about you says, I have to survive versus, eh. Let me just get this over with. Uh, hey, just hey, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it further. There. Some people always fighting for their lives, Ken. They don't have to be on a battlefield. I agree. The way they look at it, they're always fighting for yeah. their life. So that's right. Listen, he uh, and and uh, with getting back to De La Hoya, you know, De La Hoya, that was more of the picture of what you almost expect. Like the guy, yeah. uh, as far as you could see, like. He can't get up. Like he's just—he's writhing in pain. You know, he's—he's he's crawling around on the canvas. But that wasn't the case with Ryan. Yeah. And again, I, I don't know either more than what I'm putting out there. I'm using my experience just to put it all out there. He—he he did jump up right at ten, and that does make some people, you know, as unfair as it might be, because they haven't been in there, they weren't in there, they might never be in that situation in their lives, but. Um, you know, it makes it unfair, but life is unfair quite often, uh, where some people say, hey, he jumped up at 10, you know. So, and look, who knows what was going on in his mind? i tell you one thing that I do know. There was something going on in his mind. There was something, because you could see it. You could see it. You could see it. I, 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 yeah, he was looking around. No, but there was, was something going something. on in his mind. And then he made, yeah. he made a decision. A lot of people might say his body made it. But at the end of the day, we make it. We control the body. We are the general. 
to the soldiers of our body. And at some point, he he made it he made a decision. And I I'm gonna go back to another. I'm gonna ask Rob to get this video too. And I think it's perfect. Uh, it's not a body shot. It's a head shot. But I think it speaks volumes to what you just touched on and what I'm touching on here now where we're going kind of deep. But we go deep. You got to go deep in these things because it's not always on the surface. It's below the surface. I'm going to go back to Tyson Fury, which made him a zillionaire. That fight, that getting up made him a zillionaire. It did. He doesn't get up. He's not a zillionaire. And he's not Tyson Fury to the, to the way that the world knows him now. The world does know him now. But, and his story has been epic. His story has been great for people that he, you know, he was down, down he went down that, that terrible spiral rapid hole, if you will, of drugs and depression. He was suicidal and he came back from it. It's a, it's a tremendous story of a man finding himself and, you know, pulling himself out of that hole of despair. But it was his first fight with Wilder the best puncher in boxing, not the best boxer, but the best puncher in boxing, and he gets caught, he gets dropped in the 12th round, I believe it was the 12th round, and as you would say, he looked like he got shot with a 12-gauge 12 12 shotgun. You know, he, he's laying there like it's over. Thankfully, yep. thankfully, <clears throat> we had the right referee who didn't panic, who he, he did the protocol, he did the count, he went through the, you know, the steps, the procedures, the proper procedure, and and it gave him a chance to have the life that he has now, and to have to to tell the story that he could tell now, uh, that I just touched on, and he he gets up, but he laid there that felt like an eternity, it must have felt like an eternity to him. It felt like an eternity to a lot of people, like almost like time stood still. And he's laying there. <laughs> That's a good description. And he's laying there, Ken. And I said this on one of our podcasts. People could go in archives. They could find it. It's all out there. But I had said, matter of fact, we did a, Sam Rivera in front of me, did a did a video off of that. He does these great videos, these motivational videos. You should go out there and check them out if you haven't on YouTube. He did a video off that. It was called Rise Up. And And what I talked about was, it was a lesson for all people out there in the world that, and I always say that, you know, boxing is life. The life is a fight. And that I always try to connect the dots with the fight that somebody out there might be fighting, uh, you know, in their own way, in their own private world, their own private battle. And I talked about how there's always time to get up. No matter how many times you've been knocked down, no matter how badly beaten you might feel, there's always there's always time to get up. It's not over till you say it's over. And there's always a chance to get up. And that that was a perfect example of that, where Tyson Fury was laying there like he's gone. And while he was laying there, I said he was thinking. He was conscious, obviously, he got up. He was thinking. Do I get up or don't I get up? Do I live or do I die? And and listen, I don't mean, you know, I don't mean uh, literally die. You could die in different forms. You, you know, you can die where emotionally you die, where you're not alive anymore, where you stop trying. You're dead. 
You could stop trying to keep running. You could have a business that's floundering and you're like, I can't take another month of this. Do I shut it down or do I just go all in and keep exactly. going? Just keep going. There's different phases of dying. And and you die, like I said, emotionally. You die where you're just existing. You're no longer living. That's dying. That's being dead. That's 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 a walking dead man, basically. So... He was laying there and he was thinking, and I said this, and it turned out to be this great motivational video by Sam Rivera, where I said, he, he, he's thinking, his life is passing in front of him, and he's thinking, do I or don't I? Is it worth it or is it not worth it? Do, do I lay here and no longer exist, or do I, do I say no? No, I want to exist. I want to I wanna more than survive. I want to live. I want to live! And bang, he jumped up. And, and that's what I'm talking about, people. This is the stuff that I'm talking about. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of people are knocking the technique of uh, Garcia's. Technique's not good. He's got flaws. He's got flaws. He's got defensive flaws. He's got this. He's got that. A lot of great fighters have those flaws, and they still overcome them. Some don't, but a lot of them do. And they still, because mentally, I always talk about 75% of this business is mental. 75% of life is mental. You're fighting life, no matter what that fight is. It's mental. It's mental. It's mental. And if you're strong enough mentally, you can overcome those other deficiencies. You could be perfect in those other areas, but if you're not strong enough mentally, you're not going to succeed at that level. You're not. Not when the moment comes. And so yeah, people be knocking and saying, oh, the trainers should have, they should have corrected these faults, they should have, all those things. But part of the process, part of the trainer's job is not just to fix the body, the technique, the physical part, but the mental part, to understand that part, to guide them in that part, to strengthen them in that part, to move them in that part to see what they have to see and to recognize and face what they got to face and and build in those areas. And there's very few people in this business that can do that. There's very few people in this business that even understand that. But the fighters understand it. At some point, they might not articulate it the way I'm articulating it, but it, they live it. They feel it. They, uh, Tyson Fury lived it. And he's living the dream now, if you will. I hope his life's good. I hope you never know how someone's living behind their doors. You don't. But I hope to God it's good because he deserves it to be good. Because he got up. Because he got up. He made the choice to get up. And I think that's where it starts for me in breaking this fight down. You know, the rest of it's easy. Yeah, he went out there. You did it, Ken. He went out there, feel that round. He won the first round, probably Garcia. You know, it looked like he had the right idea. Control the range, control the outside. You know, I talked about that. It was a fight of geography from the physical standpoint. He's taller, he's longer. Use those assets, use those attributes. You know, control money outside. Tank Davis is a, is a good puncher. Don't let him get close to you. He's a shorter arm fighter. He's a shorter fighter, you know, as far as height. Keep him on the outside. Make him earn real estate. You know, make him pay to get close to you. See if you can get him to reach. See if you can get him to overextend himself. Make mistakes. Set traps, you know, but control the geography. I always talk about the geography. Control the freaking geography of the ring. That's best for you and not as good for him. 
and he did the first round. It looked like he set his feet. It looked like he was set to do that. And then what happens? The second round, to, to correct your point a tiny bit, I think, where you said he decided to go haywire and just go after I think that he caught him something. And he, and he just thought, okay, I can end it right here. And he... And he went away from his discipline. If he had that discipline, if his camp did have that, because they didn't show me that they had the right plan. Because Ryan showed me, uh, um, Tank showed me that him and his team had a good plan. They had a good strategic plan. I didn't see that for the most part, except the first round, but I didn't see it beyond that. So I don't know how much faith to put in it. I didn't see that from his camp or from his perspective. But from the Tank camp and the tank perspective i saw a good battle plan and they stuck to it uh he you know he had to use the jab everyone talked about the jab of garcia but tank had to use his jab too so he didn't get dominated in that area so he could stabilize garcia a little bit so he had to use his jab he couldn't reach in so he didn't reach in he had to try to draw i in, in our fight plan, which got a hell of a lot of views, and in the last week's episode, which got a hell of a lot of views, I talked about there's two ways for Tank, for any shorter man to get to the taller man. One is the traditional way. Go get him. Work your way in. The other way is to get him to come to you. And in the second round, that happened, to lay traps, to step back, give up ground a little bit. Now, he got forced into that situation, Tank, when he got buzzed a little bit. But where he gets tremendous credit from Teddy Atlas is how he kept his cool, how he kept his mind, how he kept his composure, how he stayed calm in an uncalm environment. And even while he was surviving, he was grabbing, he was doing whatever he had to do, you know, to survive. Garcia was trying to rough him up a little bit, thought he had an edge, thought he could get rid of him, thought he could end the fight right there. He was going after it. And... Tank survived that, did what he had to do, but he also had the wherewithal, the mindset, the mindset to know that at some point, Ken, I'm going to get this guy where I want him. Like he thinks he's got me where he wants me. No, 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 no. I'll do what I got to do to survive getting dinged here. But now he's close to me. And you know what? I'm the spider. I got the beetle in my web. Now I'm going to get a moment now. And I'm ready for that moment. I'm looking for that moment where he's too close now. And I'm going to get a chance to catch him now where I don't have to go chase him. He's here. And sure enough, he had the mindset, again, the wherewithal, the calmness, the brilliance. Brilliance. He's got a brilliant IQ in that ring, Tank Davis. He deserves credit for that. And then the moment came. And I'll tell you where the moment came. They didn't really tell you that. Break it down perfect. For me, it came this way. I always say in the gym, there's do's and don'ts. There's no-no's. One of the no-no's that I'll get in the ring and I'll spend five hours in a row teaching a guy if I have to, where you don't lead with left hooks. I don't care how good your left hook is. I don't care if it's Joe Frazier's left hook. You don't lead with your left hook in front of a guy because when you do, a straight punch can beat you. It's that simple because you leave an opening and you shouldn't give up defense for offense in my world. And anyone's world if they're teaching properly, I believe, in this game of the sweet science, the art of pugilism. It's an art. So that moment came where he led with a left hook. He being, of course, Ryan Garcia. He left because he's been allowed to do that because it's a habit that forms. 
because it wasn't a habit that was formed the other way. That's it's that simple. So he led with a left hook right in front, and bang, he got caught a counter left hand uh, from Tank Davis, and he got dropped. And, and yeah, things changed after that. He got unsure of himself. You could go down that road. But here's the road I want to go on. I want to go on the road of giving credit to Tank Davis for not only having the right fight plan, but for being the solid. And I've been saying this. I got to tell you. I was the first one, I think, to put him on the pound-for-pound pound best fighter list for pound-for-pound pound in the top 10 because everyone thought he was just a good puncher. And I remember, I don't know how long ago, maybe a year and a half ago, where I started saying maybe a little longer, but whatever it was, maybe it was two years, whatever, where I, I was saying he's more than just a good puncher. The guy's a complete fighter. He's not getting enough credit for that. He's more than just a guy that goes and gets you. And sure enough, he, You've described him as a complete fighter from the first time he's ever come up on this show in the last like three or four years. Because because I'm I, I'm like most fans, I was like, yeah, he's a good puncher, but he can rub you the wrong way, and he doesn't give you a Who lot, a lot of reasons that. to like him and when he gets ring. on. Yeah, right, right. And, right. But that's what I'm telling you. As to a, con, you. a typical fan, me, I'm like, eh, he doesn't give you much to like outside of the ring. He's always talking, but you said always, and I it, it, I remember because I was thinking, oh, he's just a good puncher because when you hear someone being aggr super aggressive and stuff outside of the ring it always makes I, it's not my style so i'm like i want to see him get beat and and i remember distinctly you always saying this guy's a complete fighter and he's smart he's real smart in the ring and even eddie hearn the other uh recently said he didn't he wasn't intelligent and tank didn't take kindly to that but i remember to your credit you've been saying he's a smart fighter he's he's the complete fighter from the from the minute we ever described him in the last three or four years you've been saying that so thank you well ken i what I I want to give him his dues, and his dues before Saturday night. He's been this, but what he showed was that he's yeah he's a good puncher. We know that, but in every element of boxing, he showed what you want a guy to show at a high level of ring IQ. And what I mean by that, in every level, he was defensively responsible when he got dinged. He knew how to survive that. He knew how to grab when he had to. He, was, he kept his mind about him. The mental part is the most important part. He kept his mind, didn't lose any confidence, didn't lose any faith. Matter of fact, he saw an opportunity. In a bad thing, sometimes opportunities come. They do. They do. Silver linings and dark clouds. And in the second round where it looked like it was going to be a dominant round for Garcia, he saw an opportunity. Are the guys close to me now? Oh, okay. I'm going to get a chance. I'm going to get a chance. And I'm going to get a chance to catch him. And he did. So he showed those capacities. He also ended up being aggressive. I'll tell you another part that was very impressive to me. And I understood that he had this quality. Where when even when he started go, taking charge after the second round, the third, fourth, fifth round, sixth round was around where Garcia had a better round, and then of course the seventh was the end of it. But uh, he was in control of the rhythm. He he took control of the fight, but in a smart, deliberate way. He wasn't over aggressive. If he was over aggressive, he would have left himself open for a counter shot. He wasn't. He was taking small steps. He was very deliberate, step by step. 
slowly but surely. He was getting to him. He was putting a pressure on. And at the same time, as I just said, not making any kind of technical mistakes where he was leaving gaps, where he was leaving holes to be counted. So he was patient. He was deliberate. Uh, he was, as I said, he was, uh, you know, he, his timing was elite. His calmness, his eyes, he's got good eyes. You know, he's got those night goggles on that you use in war where you got infrared, you see everything. Where he, when he was in, in that uh, seventh round when Garcia again, again, he had no business being that close. It's a battle of geography, my friend. He had no business. And that's got to be drummed into his head in the gym. I'm sorry, in camp. It's got to be drummed into his head. Uh, you, you've been in camp with me. When I had fighters that were too close, that one was supposed to be close, I would jump in the ring. I would literally jump and stop. Jump in the ring in the middle of sparring, but but I'm doing good. No, you're not. You're not doing what you need to do. You might be doing good on the inside for the next 30 seconds, but 40 seconds from now, he's going to be doing good. You don't belong there. You're not going to win this fight fighting in there. Get on the freaking outside. And then I would let him start sparring again. Yeah, it's a tough business. Yeah, you got to do that sometimes. The consequence is awful unforgiving, awful tough. So I don't care if I got in there and bothered him. I bothered him on purpose to correct something right there when it had to be corrected. Because, and again, the guy might be doing good on the inside. I don't care. If our battle plan was to win the fight and know we had an advantage and a disadvantage on the inside and an advantage on the outside, I didn't let him do it. I didn't let him do it. I don't care if he was having success for a fleeting moment, a fleeting freaking moment. And that's what it was. Where again... In the seventh round, he's in close. You don't belong there. You don't belong there. I don't care if you can win for 10 seconds. You don't belong there. And what happens? While he's there, he throws a punch. And when you throw a punch, you expose something. He exposed his body. He threw the right hand. The elbow came up. He exposed the body. Tank was in close proximity, which he wanted, which it shouldn't have been, but it was. It was good for Tank, bad for Garcia. And what's he do? He times him perfectly. Like Prograis said, he's right. He's a fighter. He's a champion. He timed him perfectly with a left hand right there. But he knew he was going to get that chance. Why? Because he was in close. He knew that Garcia would probably throw to defend himself. And he knew that opportunity would come. His IQ was there. And Davis is calm. Again, he's got good eyes. He's calm. And what does he do? He throws a perfect... Now, a lot of people didn't even think it was a hard punch. It doesn't have to be hard. It's perfectly timed in the right spot at the right time. And bang, bingo. He's, you know, the it, it's over with. Now... Talk about a delayed reaction. You see how long that... We it see probably those. We took see three them. seconds. We see them. Yeah, of course. But that... Now, that's the... Anal- that's how you know it was like... It, he was really hurt. Oh, listen, Because he was no back doubt. up, back up, and was like... No doubt. But what we don't know is what we don't know. The rest, the stuff that I that I talked about earl, earlier, you know. And now I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna. I, I want Rob to find this for me. I just thought of it. There was a great, great newscaster years ago, named Paul Harvey. You got you heard of him, Ken? He was he was legendary. I remember. I recognize the name. Ken. He was legendary, like you. He was like you, and he <laughs> was legendary guy, and he. He used to have a newscast. He would do the newscast. And, and he would 
talk about the story that everyone talked about. Kind of like we're talking about. Everyone's talking about this fight. We're not the only guys talking about it. He'd talk about it, right? And then he'd get to his point. He'd lay it out there like we did, and then he'd get to his point. And when he got to his point, you know what he used to say? It became his trademark, his signature thing. And now for the rest of the story. <laughs> that, that, was, that, was, that was his thing. It's legendary. It's iconic. And I want to see if we could play a game with it. I never would ever suggest I'm a legend or legendary of a man like that or connected to the kind of legend of a man like that. But I would just say for fun that I do think of things, we all do, in a different way than other people. I, I, that's, that's our own path in life, to find our own way of thinking, our own way of looking at things, connected to hopefully the proper things. But again, where it's, where it's unique in a way that it's also connected to our experiences, our thoughts, how we present it. So I want Rob, if he can, to find that, and we could put that when I talk like this. Where and now for the rest of the story in the in the legend's voice of of Paul Harvey, and and here's the rest of the story. The there. rest of the story. It's it goes deep, and I just did the analytical stuff. That for me is easy. We we just I think we gave a good breakdown of all the analyticals, and I think people should be fairly satisfied with that. You know. One guy got the geography he needed. The other guy did not maintain the geography he needed. One guy had a very solid fight plan. The other guy didn't seem to. And if he did, he didn't stick with it. The rest is history, as they say. But what's not history, what needs to be examined to understand history a little bit more thoroughly is what else went on right in front of us that we probably didn't pay attention to that it might have been telling us something. And I'm, I listen, I'm going to go into some tricky territory here that some people might not like. But you know what? It won't be the first time I've done that. <laughs> it won't be the first time I've done that. And listen, I'm a religious person. My religion is private, as most people's, you know. But I, I believe in what I believe in. I believe in God. I believe, I believe in living the right life, to try to live the right life, to try to be as good a person, decent person as possible. And I'm still working like hell to try to be better. And it's obvious that Ryan is a good kid. He's a religious kid. He talked about his faith. And I'll be very, but I, I can only be what I can be. I, at the beginning of the, when he was coming out of the tunnel, he was doing what we see fighters do, you know, they look above and then they, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's out there. We see the uh, Muslim fighters that have their faith. They go in a corner, they bend down, they put their arms out, they, they gather some strength, and, um, and then they get up, you know. When we saw Ryan coming out, we saw some of that, but it was a little different, where Ryan was looking up above, putting his arms out, almost like he was, you know, trying to gather some strength that was going to be sent down to him, right? And and listen, I think it's important to have faith. I think it's important uh, to connect with your faith, your belief, you know, to find strength in that. But it's also important to know where the true strength is. The true strength is in God, 
uh, if I, I I can't speak for God, but I know that there's an old saying: God wants you to help yourself. He'll give you everything you need to help yourself, and and for you to find your way. And the greatest strength has to be from within. The strength that you have, that you believe, that you garner, that you build, that you fortify. It has to come from within. It has to come from within. So anyway, he's he's looking up and he's putting his arms out and he's and it, it got to the point where it got a little past the point of the normal ritual that you might see from most fighters. It got a little past that. And it's okay, it's nothing wrong with it. But it's something to think about and to be observed. And I observed it. And I'm thinking, it almost felt, Ken, like he was saying, help me, like right now. Like, almost like, I, I you know, almost, I don't want to go as far as to say, do this for me, but it was almost like, you know, he, w- he, was, he was asking for strength. But the strength had to be there already. It had to be there already. And, and and God's always there with you, if that's what you believe, always there with you. And if you're a, 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 an atheist that doesn't believe, that's fine. I'm not knocking your belief. But for the people like me who do believe, he's always there. But you got to be there. And it almost seemed like he was like just almost desperate, like, do this. I, you know, I, I want to feel it. I want to, you know, like make, Make this happen. Do this for me. And nobody could do it for you. Almost. And listen, who knows? But I know that most people would not either recognize it or talk about it if they did. And But I'm, I'm going to put it out there. And the reason I'm going to put it out there, I think it played. I think it played to a certain area, certain dimension, where, where there was, it takes a great inner strength and discipline, we love that word, to, to do things in this kind of environment, a scary, dangerous environment. It's scary and dangerous. Anyone who says they're not afraid, they're a liar, or they should go to a doctor, find out what the F is wrong with them. Something's missing. You're supposed to be scared, but you've got to learn to control that fear, to make it work for you, to make it your friend, not your enemy. To make you better, make you sharper, make you more aware, but not to let it overcome you. In this kind of fight, you have to be able to stay on the outside, toe the line, hold the line. And again, I asked Rob to put up this this clip from the movie, from from Gladiator, and also from the movie Braveheart, where Russell Crowe is his men are coming down on the horses to do battle, but he wants the timing to be right. If they go too soon, the other guys will know they're there. You follow, Ken? If you go too soon, yep. the, the enemy's going to know you're there. You go too late, you're screwed. It's got to be just right. So as he's coming down, he's a warrior. He's a general. As he's coming down, he's yelling. It was beautiful. It, was, it made me think of this. He was yelling, hold, 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 hold. And I was thinking about that. That's what it had to be with, with Ryan. Hold! But it takes real discipline and, and conditioning 
and strength and, and courage. He's got courage. Ryan's got all the courage in the world. But it, it takes a different kind of formulated courage, conditioned courage, disciplined courage, where you can hold off on the outside and don't go in. You know why, Ken? Because, and this is going to blow people's minds, the layman out there. But if you go in, that's the easier way. Because you go in there to get it over with, not to face it. That's to right. get it done. You go in there, you just get it over with. And, and, and people say, wow, he was brave. Wow, what a brave guy. And he was brave. He's braver than most people. But he wasn't brave enough to be the best. He wasn't brave enough in the area we're talking about. He wasn't conditioned with his bravery. He wasn't disciplined with his bravery. The way that I'm talking about. To be what I'm talking about. The greats. The special ones. That's what I'm talking about. And because to stay there and hold the line, hold, hold, to stay there and hold the line and not go into, that's harder because you got to keep facing the beast. You got to keep facing the devil longer and longer and longer. It's hard to keep facing the devil and stay, and then, and then fire, and then stay out there, and then face him again, and face him again, and face him again. It's easier to get it over with, to run to the devil. To run to the beast and kill the beast or get eaten by the beast. But in that moment, that moment of, of what you want to call it, terror, that moment of whatever you want to call it, of disarray, that moment of chaos, that moment where it all goes south, where it can't go south. You want to talk about that moment? That moment, it's the moment that you have to stay there. You have to hold the line. Because again, I say it again, I repeat myself because this is worth repeating. Because it's easier to just let yourself go. Because one way or other, it's over with. You either got him or he gets you. But it's over with. You don't have to keep facing. It's harder to keep facing. And that's what he didn't, that wasn't drilled into him. There was nobody in camp drilling that into him. I guarantee you. Guarantee you. And that, that has to be, that has to be understood at this level. That, that has to be understood. And I'll tell you another thing. I don't want to knock the guy. The guy was a hell of a fighter. But his, I don't know that, the, that he learns anything from his promoter. And I'll tell you why. Really, I have something tangible here. Not just something emotional or personal. I have nothing personal with, with the lawyer. But I think he was a hell of a fighter. Gold medalist, division champion, a whole bunch of divisions, everything else. But he always, if you look at his history... He always screwed up his biggest fights, whether it was Mosley, he fought him twice, whether it was Trinidad, uh, whether whether it was... Uh, Hopkins. No, well, Hopkins was too big for him anyway. But but whether it was, it was Trinidad, Mosley, Mayweather, Mayweather, Mayweather. He always fought the wrong fight and blew it when he could have won. Blew it when he could have won. Always did something wrong. Always did the, the wires got screwed up a little bit somehow crossed a little bit and and his protege did the same thing he fought the wrong fight and and along the lines of talking i'll give you a perfect example when he fought mayweather when deloy fought mayweather it was a close fight the lawyer when he was on the outside holding the line using the champ he was winning in those spots you know why because he was in there with a great fighter in mayweather great defensive fighter a great counter puncher and he was taking the counter punching ability away by being longer taller and and controlling the outside using the jab where he wasn't given the great Mayweather anything to counter so he was taking his biggest part of his game away from him he wasn't letting a great counter puncher have anything to counter 
And he wasn't letting him use his hand speed because by being on the outside using the jab to control that area, that space, the hand speed was nullified. He had nothing to be fast against because he was on the outside controlling him. So he was fighting the right fight on the outside, De La Hoya. But you know why he blew the fight? He went inside. He went inside. He didn't have the discipline to stay on the outside. He didn't have the worth for all the things that I just talked about to stay there. It was easier to go inside because he thought he was bigger and stronger. And he thought he had an edge there. And, he could, and you can hide on the inside. You can smother, you can tie, you can, you can hide a little. You can't hide on the outside. You're there, you're naked. You're naked for the world to see, for you to see. You're naked there for the whole effing world to see where you have to be in control of yourself and rely only on yourself. And he didn't have the discipline to do that. And, and when he got on the inside, guess what? The faster Mayweather outspeeded him. Guess what? The greater counterpuncher counterpunched him. Guess what? Mayweather separated himself and won a close fight because of that. So I think these are all things, and I, I, I tell you, when people watch this episode, I hope they can get what I want them to get. Sincerely, from not just only my opinion, but my opinion attached to experience. And I think that as the great Paul Harvey would say, and that's the rest of the story. Along those lines, let me pause for one second and tell people if you like listening to what Teddy had to say there and you'd like to hear more about his backstory, you can check out his audiobook on Audible. It's called Atlas from the Streets to the Ring, A Son Struggled to Become a Man. There's the paperback version available on Amazon. Get the audiobook. And Teddy also just recorded a new um a new uh boxing technique for MMA striking on dynamic striking go to dynamicstriking.com search for the Teddy Atlas series there's about 15 videos on there now the most recent one like I said is specifically striking for MMA uh all right Teddy bunch of other things I want to talk to you about with the Garcia uh Davis fight for starters second round much controversy I thought that Garcia was winning that second round and Tank drops him and not one single judge scored a 10 to 8 I haven't seen now I know obviously if one guy's winning the whole round and then gets clipped at the end it's possible that the round's 10-9 for the guy who scored the knockdown but nine times out of ten maybe more someone gets a knockdown in a round the guy who get does the the guy who gets knocked down gets eight and the knock guy who does the knocking gets ten one guy one of the judges scored the round uh 10-10 uh Dave Moretti scored a 10-10 veteran judge Everyone else, the other two judges, both of them gave it 10-9 Davis. Seemed highly unusual in a knockdown round to score it 10-9, even when the other guy has done, like I said, won the majority of the round and then just gets a flash knockdown. What were your thoughts? Would you have scored a 10-8, and how, what did you think of a 10-10 round for that one? I completely, and you ready? Sit down. Sit down. I'm oh, sitting. you're sitting already? All, right. <laughs> uh, all the fans out there, sit down. Teddy Atlas is going to... Give credit to the judges. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Because when they deserve it, I give it to them. Even if I have to go against my beloved partner here a little bit in his opinion. Everyone has an opinion. That's fine. Um, doesn't make. By any, the way, I wasn't does, disagreeing. I'm telling you, I've just yeah, haven't no, I seen get it. it. And I, I'm glad it, you brought it, it up. Very rarely I'm glad it's glad you brought it up. And, and you're right. And you're right to bring attention to it. I c completely agree with all of them. 
And I'll tell you what I mean by all because there was two was one way and one was the other way. I agree with the 10-9 completely and I give them credit for doing their job the right way, which I would like to see more of that, where up until that point of the knockdown, Garcia was dominating the round. It was all Garcia. It was all Garcia. And he was dominating the round. He gets dropped. Now, when he gets dropped, it wasn't devastating. He got up. He got up pretty quick. He he had all his faculties about him. He, he had everything. He didn't get hurt after that. Matter of fact, quite frankly, Tank was very patient. He didn't go after him that fast. He kind of let him survive a little bit. You know, he was he was he was waiting for his moment tank he knew what he was doing you know he didn't want to get over anxious and run into anything so he didn't really press the issue he didn't push the envelope any uh after that so he's winning around big and then he gets dropped and he gets up and like i said it wasn't devastating it didn't have devastating after effects it should not have cost him a 10-8 round. It should have just lost him the round. But because of what I just said, of uh, his work up to that point of dominating the round, up to that point, it should have gave him a 10-9 round. Now, as far as the 10-10, I would have made it 10-9. I will not go crazy over the 10-10 because the thinking was the same. And it was sound thinking. Where, but let me say where, this. If you score, if you score uh, that 10 10 that would imply that Garcia should have won the round if he didn't get knocked down would you have scored a 10-8 for Garcia if he didn't no if he didn't get knocked down I would have just given him the round but I, I don't know how I don't know how the guy like to basically say 10-10 and Ryan got knocked down I did, I would think that it was so one-sided that it basically 10-8 would have should have no. been with the knockdown not 10-8 no no not that 10-10 doesn't make sense no, to me not to that point but I, I like the 10-9s better. I'm more comfortable with the 10-9s, but I'm making an argument of why I'm not going to go nuts like Teddy Atlas goes ballistic sometimes. I'm not going to go ballistic over the 10-10. I like the 10-9s better, but the 10-10, I understand his thinking. That's all. Where his thinking was, Garcia's dominating the round, he gets dropped. It's a, I don't want to say a non-consequential knockdown. Every knockdown's consequential to the point. But it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't an emphatic knockdown. He gets up. He's okay the rest of the round. Davis doesn't really do anything more the rest of the round. So he's saying, okay, because he was way ahead and the other guy scores a knockdown, which is what you're always looking to do to, you know, to get you back in the fight. It's even. I, all right. Even Stevens. Okay, I get it. My, my grandson does that to me a lot. Even Stevens. Okay, even Stevens. All right, I live with it. I live with even Stevens. Next. Go ahead. All What's right. next? Next, to next topic. Um, after the fight or during the uh, pressers leading up, they, uh, Davis camp was saying that the Ryan Garcia camp, had a, they had a mole in their camp. Someone was telling the Davis camp what was going on. And then right after the fight ended, a uh, Mongolian kid, 5-0, and oh, I, I, his long Mongolian name, I don't have it in front of me, but he basically went on Twitter and said, yeah, I, uh, hey, Ryan, I hurt you. T I injured you to the body is broken English. I injured you to the body during camp. And that's exactly what happened. So it sounds like this kid who was in camp must have scored some body shots on Garcia, some good ones. 
And somehow word got back to Tank. Sounds like someone must have been telling Tank's team, like, "Hey, he's he he can get he can be hurt to the body." And uh, they were basically telling him, "You got a rat in your camp." And then Ryan tweeted something out after the fight, saying, "What a disgrace that it that I had someone." And uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. But I say, if someone is in your camp telling other people what's happening, that's so unprofessional and so out of line, and could potentially cost someone, especially a fight of this magnitude, have tens of millions of dollars in implications. If that is what happened, I hope that other fighters and other trainers are watching that this, that any, I don't care what your feelings are on someone. Sparring is sparring. There should be some code of conduct there. It should almost be like an ethical violation to go in camp, do, do, get hired by someone, do work for them, then go tell his opponent what's going on. That's a, that, that's a huge breach of trust. And, and I hope that if that did happen, that everyone in the community knows who this kid is and, and is aware that this, that he would do something like this because that's completely out of line what are your thoughts well they're all aware now because it's out there and he's out there giving a yeah. video and he maybe he wanted that in his mind that fame that publicity i think that's probably what it is in his mind he probably wants fame he wants a little attention he thinks he's getting attention i don't think it's good attention as you just said i agree with you and i wouldn't use him in a camp to be quite frank but having said all that it's not the first time this stuff happens there, there's stuff leaked. There's been stuff leaked in the camps over the 45 years that I've been involved training fighters and everything, close to 50 years now. Um, it's I've seen it. It's It's been out there where information is passed on from somebody who was in camp, you know, and stuff. So it's, it's nothing new. I have to laugh a little bit, like if they're going to make this big deal about, you know, how it could have <laughs> in some way tip the scales one way or the other as far as what happened in the ring. Are you going to tell me that if it wasn't for this tip <laughs> that Tank wasn't going to go to the body? <laughs> I got to laugh. <laughs> Let me laugh a little more. <laughs> oh, I had to get that out of me. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So if, if they didn't give that tip, if this kid didn't tip them off, he wasn't going to the body. Please stop, stop, stop. <laughs> All right. So uh, I agree with you. I agree with you regarding the strategy, but I just think it's a, such a dirty dog scumbag move no, to be in camp. It's not nice. Working for a it's guy not right. and it's telling not people, nice. hey, here's, here's what's Bad happening. Character. I if, you don't, agree. if you don't like the guy who hired you and you don't like Garcia, you Poor don't like character. something about him, so don't do work with him. Just mind your business and move it on. Be a professional. Anyway, um, well, I think we covered just about and we're coming and we're coming and we're coming off of what are we coming off of? Listen, I'm I, I was into a little bit of a religious theme. I'm going to stay with it. Yeah. We're coming off of Easter with all the great uh, religious movies that are out there around Easter time. I know I like watching some of them. The the one about uh, about Christ, where obviously bef before. Uh, the Last Supper with all his disciples where he was saying people are going to betray him at this table, right? <laughs> yeah. You're right? And then yeah. and then uh, the one guy, what was his name? I guess I don't like to Judas. remember bad people's names. Judas, where he took the, how many pieces of silver did he get for that? He got um, whatever. A couple of shekels. Uh, yeah, it was it was a certain amount of, of pieces of silver, whatever it was, um, that, that he got uh, to betray you know, Jesus, and then at the end, when he saw what his betrayal did, you know, and he saw Jesus being crucified, he, he gave the silver back, and it was, but it was too late, you know, the act was, was done, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than betrayal, I think that's one of the 
weakest conditions, human conditions out there, quite frankly, is lack of loyalty. I think one of the strongest is loyalty, and one of the weakest is betrayal. But that's my personal feeling. But yeah, I agree with you, Ken, uh, with what you said. But as far as how did it, did it actually? <laughs> I have to laugh again. Did it? Did it actually? Did it actually? You know, influence the f- outcome of the fight? No, that's absurd. No, of course not. But if anyone would, uh, if, if anyone I know that would not appreciate that lack of loyalty, yeah. it would have been you. So <laughs> yeah. I was, ex- yeah. I was expecting it to be like, yeah, that kid's dead to me. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, um, what does Ryan do from here? What's next for Ryan Garcia? Where does he go? He obviously doesn't need money, but what's he do next for regarding his boxing career? All right, listen, Ken. Everything that I just broke down. I don't think I'm telling any great secrets, and I like Ryan, and I'm not, I'm trying to help him. But people take things the way they take them. Who knows how he'll take it? Um, but I would hope he takes it the right way. Um, I hope nothing but good for him. Uh, he got beat by a more advanced fighter, a better fighter. I said before this fight, I'm not being a Monday morning quarterback. Um, I never try to be that. I, I said, before the fight, what did I say, Ken? I said that I thought that he needed a little more time. I just thought he, I said that. I said it all over the place. It's been on a lot of platforms. He On our platform, He, I thought he needed, a, matter of fact, I used the analogy, joking with you, saying, Ken, you know, sometimes at a barbecue, you do the great barbecues with those great Kobe steaks that you have for everybody. <laughs> and, and where sometimes your wife says, hey, this one's a little raw. You should have left it on a little longer, a little longer. Well, <laughs> I use that analogy for a reason. I just thought that he could have been on the grill a little longer, that he needed more seasoning. That I just What do you felt, think about the argument that much like the way he rushed in to kind of get that over with, where I know exactly what you mean. It's like no, no, you're so, yeah. it's so nerve-wracking. You're like, I'm just jumping. I no, want I it think now. it's all get attached to that. Now. No, no, it's all attached. Yeah, That's but I mean. I, it's all attached to that. I just think that... He needed more seasoning. He needed more experience. He didn't have the kind of experience that Tank had with the quality level opponents. Opposite. He only had one real quality opposition level up for me was Campbell. And that, was, that wasn't a yeah. top, 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 but it was close. And, and he got dropped and he overcame it. He showed character. He showed courage. He overcame it. He needed... I'm not saying he needed to be dropped more, but he needed more experience close to that level where he would have known for him, not us, where Ryan Garcia would have known deep inside of himself, I'm ready. I don't think he knew deep inside. I think that's part of what I was trying to express when he was looking somewhere else. Look, give it to me. You have to have it already. Give it to me. Can let me just finish. Give it to me. Give. It. That's where I think that comes in. Where he's, where that wouldn't have been there. He could still have his faith in God, and that's beautiful. But if he had gotten a little more experience and all, and a little more help, maybe in certain areas with people around him. Not too many teachers out there that can give him that. I'll be. I I, I understand that. That that can direct him in that area, but. He needs to get directed in that area. And part of it was just to get more experience where, again, he would have had the answers in, inwardly, where he would have known, I belong. I can handle whatever comes at me. I can handle this! 
And and that's something that comes with all the things I just touched on that has to be formed and developed. It, 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 it has to be baked, if you will, forged in a certain fire. And part of that fire is the fire of experience. And I just don't think that he had those answers to those questions because he didn't get that experience that he needed to, to really know, like I said, inside himself that, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I can handle this. I can handle whatever the freak comes at me. So um, he, he still needs that. And, and I don't know, he's, you know, uh, if he can get it. And listen, uh, this, this is hard love, but I, I don't think I'm about to say anything again that uh, is something that someone else couldn't think of on their own. Um, and I say it in a professional manner, not the way other people say, oh, he quit, he did this. No, I'm not going in those areas. I'm just saying he ain't, and I'm using the wrong, you know, obviously grammar purposely to bring attention to it, but he ain't mentally tough enough yet. Yet. Doesn't mean he can't be, but he's not mentally tough enough yet to deal with the things you have to deal with at that level. Is that fair, Ken? Very fair. With that being said, who would you, if you're his matchmaker, advisor, trainer, who do you want to see him in with next? Who's a good test that isn't a layup, that is going to give him some work, but you feel Things pretty Things have good to be corrected. That's a great question, Ken. Things have to be corrected before we even go there. In the, in all right, so let's in assume camp, you can correct camp, all the in things. In his life, in his way of thinking, in, in his way it's of training. six all months of, of training something and has, focus. Things have to be corrected first. And then when those things are corrected, okay, then, or oh, you think they're corrected, I want to take the car, the, the car that's been tuned up, the car that's got a new carburetor, it's got, you know, a lot of new parts under the hood. I want to take it out on the road and I want to test drive it. And I don't want it to take it to the Indianapolis 500 yet. No, I want to take it in a tune-up fight, if you use that term. I, I, I want to find... I got gotcha. you. I want to find the right guy that can test them in those areas, but not a dangerous puncher. I want to stay away from a dangerous puncher, obviously, and a guy that's mentally, that's sound enough and tough enough to take him to those deeper waters that he needs to start to get comfortable in. Tank Davis has been swimming in the deeper end of the pool for a while now, <laughs> and, and Ryan hasn't. He, he might have thought he was, but he hasn't. He has to start getting used to what the deep end of the pool feels like so he can get comfortable in that environment. Perfect. With that being said, what's next for Tank Davis? Coming off this kind of payday, I would imagine he gets, uh, I hesitate to say tune-up fight, but I don't see him getting in there with someone like Haney or Shakur next. But... Saying he, assuming that at some point he does, who do you think presents the biggest challenge to Tank in the future? Devin Haney, Shakur Stevenson. Who do you, who do you think is going to give him a test? And is there anyone out there you think can beat him in his weight class or even one higher? 
You know, Shakur Davis is in, uh, Shakur um, Stevenson's interesting Stevenson. in a way. He'd have to move up one way class. I don't think that'd be a problem. He's a big kid. He's a young kid. He's filling out. His style is a difficult style. Very defensive oriented. And you want defense against a good offensive fighter like Davis. So his style of being able to control range, being very cerebral too. Davis is very cerebral. You don't get enough credit for it. Um, because of the style attached, Shakur, he gets more te- uh, credit for being cerebral, which he is. He's cerebral. He's, he's got a good ring, uh, in-ring IQ, if you will. Uh, again, he's, he's, uh, he's got good skill sets. He's not a big puncher uh, like Davis is. But again, he's a, he's a guy who can navigate himself around the ring pretty damn good. He's a guy that, as I just said, he could defend himself, and you got to be able to defend yourself with a dangerous puncher like this. He he knows how to control geometry. I talked about the geometry of the ring. That, of course, uh, Garcia came up short owning that geography. I think that Stevenson could do a much better job understanding that geography and being disciplined enough to stay within himself, within that fight plan to control the proper geography or to to give himself the best chance, you know, to to win that fight. So I think, uh, and to, to negate the strengths of Davis. So I think it'd be, that would be interesting. That would be an interesting, a lot of people would say, ah, Stevenson's not exciting enough. He doesn't make exciting fights. He takes the air out of the ball, you know, all that stuff. But I would find it I would find it intriguing to get the answers to those questions I just put out there. And could Davis on his side of the fence, could Davis find a way against this guy who is talented, who is defensively, you know, uh very good, who who falls into a little bit, not as nearly as good, but a little bit into the department like his protege, Mayweather. That would be interesting to see because Mayweather would have a lot of advice for him, which he always does, which is good because you're getting it from a great source, nowhere better. But he would have interesting advice because I think he would see some of himself in Shakur. That is, say, okay, this is how you have to deal. He's gonna, you know, he's uh, he's gonna try to be a ghost in there. Obviously, he's gonna look to counter punch. He's gonna look to control range. He's gonna look to make you miss, make you pay. He's gonna look to do a lot of the things that I made my living doing. <laughs> so I, I I find that interesting. I would also, I always so I would have loved to have seen Tank. I would have paid for this one. I would have loved to see Tank. And the ship has sailed on it, I think, with a prime Loma. Loma, I think, is probably a few years past his prime. But with a prime Loma, oh, I, oh, oh my goodness. I would have loved to have seen that. And, of course, Loma's got a tough, a tough task in front of him with having to try to beat Haney, which is going to be tough. It's going to be tough and because I think he's a little long in the tooth now. It's, it's, Loma will still be it'll still be interesting. You can't count him out. He's he's so great. But uh, I would have to give a little edge to Haney right now. But I, I would have loved to have seen again a, a prime a, a prime Loma with with a prime tank. 
That that would have been just forget it. That would have been boxing heaven uh, for me. I don't know, that Lowell Mahaney fight, I'm trying to check the schedule here to see when it's coming up. In I May, forget I the think. um Yeah, May twentieth in Vegas. Yeah, that's a friggin' that is gonna be a hell of a fight. That's gonna be a real good one. Let me see who's on the undercard, see if they if by no <laughs> I was gonna say, let me see if by any chance we get an extra bonus there, but nope, pay per view and nope, <laughs> nothing else. Nothing else. Well, they to didn't see. disappoint you, did they? They didn't let you down with with another <laughs> one of these they, uh, undercards that is just just. I mean, what, what can I say? I just blowouts. Say, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say they. Uh, now, if it's not a blowout, it's a one sided fight. But whatever. I would say yes. They definitely disappointed, but they definitely did not surprise well, me. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's exactly the right what way. I expect. But I thought, oh, maybe, maybe we snuck one in here. But nope, nothing. Um, no offense to the fighters on the undercard, but no one's waiting for the see the, any of those fights. They're like showcases. They're not. Um, it's a showcase. It's not at real competition. It's like, hey, here's our other big name fighters like beating the hell out of someone who's like they're gonna get someone killed. Matter of fact, what was it on the? Well, on I'd the, like to the see undercard. the kid. I can't remember the Cuban fighter who's eight and always a gold Morel. medalist. Um, Morel, right? David Morel. Yeah, I, yeah I'd that's like the to one see him. I'd like said, to see I, him I, with somebody. Yeah, I was going to say, I said to you and Rob, I said, I guess the matchmakers are going to see how close they can get to having someone get killed oh. in there with this kid. I mean, they threw that kid in there. They might as well have just grabbed him out of the stands having a few drinks. He just got destroyed. He's, it was unbelievable. It was no, so far from competition. I, I don't understand. Well, some of the credit no goes to Morrell because, this. you know, that guy, of course. guy had a, uh, some kind of... Uh, uh, a resume that was a good resume, but he he didn't belong in there. Obviously, at this point in his life, uh, with this kid Morel, who even though he's only got eight no. pro fights, he God knows how many amateur fights he had uh, on a great national Cuban Olympic team uh, amateur team. He probably had three hundred fights, maybe four hundred fights. Who knows? But um, I'd like to see him in there with you know somebody that could actually test them or possibly test them yeah well teddy before we um wrap that and jump into the ufc i just want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor athletic greens go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas and they'll send you 10 free travel packs with your first purchase athletic greens is the all-in-one daily green drink it's all you need for your health and well for your physical health and wellness in terms of multivitamins it's made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients i take it every day these travel packs go with me wherever i go you can get 10 of these for free with your first purchase purchase go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase athletic greens all you need for a daily vitamin um you got anything else on the boxing teddy before we jump over to the ufc i think we covered that one pretty well uh pretty thorough yep i agree all right let's talk ufc curtis blades Suffers a first-round knockout at the hands of um, Sergey Pav Pavlovich. Um, Sergey moves to eighteen and one. Curtis Blades drops to seventeen and four. Um, first-round knockout. Pavlovich looked freaking strong, real strong. Um, the guy can obviously crack. Uh, I'm surprised Curtis Blades didn't do, try to do some wrestling. He's got a deep wrestling background yeah. it looked like he went for one takedown big but mistake. i mean trying big to stay mistake. on your feet with a guy you know can crack like you said big mistake down goes frazier over before it started what'd you think give pavlog some credit though 
just like some sure. of the great fighters like Adesanya, he hasn't gotten to that level yet. But where their forte might not be on the mat, but at least they've developed a good takedown defense where they're That's aware right. of that, that they need to be able to defend that so they can have a better chance to stay to their forte, which is striking. So I give him credit for that because he did show that where he showed a decent takedown prevent defense prevention uh, system uh, when Blades did try to attempt, which wasn't a whole hearty attempt. I agree with you, Ken. You would have thought that you might have got a little bit more uh, of a commitment to try to get Pavlovich to the mat than you got from Blades. But what I saw was what everyone saw. Pavlovich is a good puncher, very good puncher, aggressive, and he's confident. Um, you know, and I thought that early on Blades had the right idea in in the striking domain where he looked to counterpunch him coming in. And he had some success, landing some right hands. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was it was like it was like a pea shooter, <laughs> you know, against a rhino. I mean, and that's the way I saw it. I mean, yeah, he did have the right idea to counter, but the, the, you better have more than a, a twenty-two caliber gun against a, a rhino because otherwise they're going to bounce off and a rhino's going to stick his horn, you know where, and and <laughs> Pavlovich stuck his horn, you know where he. He was, he was like, I love to use the analogies about the ocean. Uh, he, he, was like, he was like the ocean coming to the shore. Uh, I mean, he just tidal waved uh, blades. I mean, it was high tide. Once he got going, it, it, was, he, it was a washout, you know, obviously. Uh, and Pavlovich got to where he wanted to and uh, finished the job and showed his strengths. Uh, you know, showed showed why he's a force to be reckoned with and showed why, for me, I'd love to see him with John Jones because John Jones is special, and I'm not saying that his special um, gifts and, and talent set of being so great in the grappling and on the floor wouldn't give him an edge over Pavlovich. Obviously, most people would think it would, and I'm sure that that's what Jones, part of Jones's fight plan would be um, to get him to the mat where he would feel that he would have a distinct advantage, um, where Jones would have a distinct advantage with many people. But again, Jones likes to strike. And that would be very interesting. I'd love to see that because he's got the physical strength um, and the ability and it seems like developed enough technique to make it interesting in the striking part of it with Jones. And he's got one other thing that you can recognize that I think is the most important part. He's mentally tough enough to make it interesting where gone, quite frankly, and I'm not picking on somebody who's down or kicking someone while they're down, but gone just wasn't mentally tough enough. I think he showed that lack a little bit when he lost to Nganyu, um, where Nganyu might not have been as quite developed in certain areas that Gan was. In certain areas, Gan was maybe a little more finesseful, 
a little more sophisticated, if you will, a little more developed. And, and Ngannou was was stronger physically, but not as developed in certain areas. Although he did a great job in his last year of developing and catching up in those areas, and Ganyu did. I thought he did a tremendous job. But I thought Ngannou won that fight. He got it to the mat. He was physically stronger. Uh, he was able to do what he wanted to do, uh, whether it was on the mat or whether it was standing, basically because he was mentally stronger than Gan. I, I thought that was the difference in that matchup that let Ngannou keep his title in that fight. And that was not evident against Jones. Matter of fact, the opposite was evidence. Jones was too good in obviously not only the physical areas, but the mental area. Too confident, too strong mentally uh, for for Gan to have any chance. And that's where it separates for me. That's where it changes for me. With Popovich, uh, Pavlovich, I think that would he would be strong enough mentally, you know, gritty enough mentally in that department to make it competitive with Jones. I would like to see that fight. Yeah, that's a good one. So you got Jones as the title. Cyril Gan is ranked number one. He's obviously not up for a title shot anytime soon, considering how the first one went. Then you got Stipe at, at two, and uh, Pavlovich now at three. Blades was at four at the time of the fight. So I think it's Stipe uh, in the summer with Jones. Uh, I don't know if that's been finalized. Maybe Rob can let us know, but I know that that's what they're talking for next. But yeah, that Pavlovich and uh, Jones I should love Jones get through. I love Stipe. Um, the only problem is he's a little long in the tooth, kind of like we're talking about Lomachenko might be a little getting a little too old, um, you know, too many miles on the odometer, so to speak, as I say often. I think with Sipe, the same thing could be said that he might just, you know, he's great. He's one of the greatest heavyweight UFC heavyweights of all time, um, if not the greatest. John Jones might wind up putting himself in there before his career is over. Uh, he's already thought of as the greatest UFC fighter, period, or MMA fighter, period, but he might wind up being thought of as the greatest heavyweight, too, but before he's finished with his business. But I, Sipe definitely deserves those accolades, deserves one of those spots, as if not the greatest, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. I just think he might be too old. That's all. Other, if, if he's not, then it'd be interesting. It will be interesting because he's a tough, tough guy and he's a, and he's damn good uh, and well-rounded in every area uh, in that octagon. Imagine how good he'd be if he wasn't working full-time as a firefighter. Yeah. That, to me, is the incredible. craziest part of the whole story. Someone incredible. at that, so that level of, of, of a sport and working a full-time job? Just it's crazy. What a humble special tough man uh a man yeah. to really be I'd love to get to him be on the show truly, sometime truly respected for for all those reasons to, yeah Steve Bay, if you're listening please come on and talk to us we'd love to give you the attention and accolades you deserve not that you need them from us but that's a special guy we'd love to talk to so, him. True. so, so true if anyone's Ken. got a line to Steve Bay, get him on here um Teddy, that's a pretty thorough breakdown of everything. We that covered that this like weekend. a blanket, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything else before we say goodbye? Let me see what's coming next week, just for the hell of it here. 
Next week with the UFC, let's see. I'm sure the UFC seems to be in action every friggin' week at this point, at this time of the year. So next up on April 29th, yeah, Song Yudong and uh, Ricky Simone headlining up an Apex event. And let me just see what's up on the boxing. Uh, April 29th, Zapata and Arboleda. Nah, nothing really big. A couple small shows coming up this weekend, so relatively quiet on the uh, on the Western Front. But um, I'm sure we'll figure something out. And, um, yeah, that was a pretty thorough breakdown. Teddy, thanks for all the analysis. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being with me and, as always, sharing uh, this platform with me. Appreciate it. Wednesday night is a big night, by the way, in the Rideout household. Cameron, young Cameron Rideout, my, my in-house ninja, is up for his first belt upgrade in jiu-jitsu. That's great. He's been electric all week. That's great. And, and I'm telling you, every time we watch TV together now, at some point, inevitably, he'll try to jump on some kind of choke. Every time. I'm like, Cam, that joke is getting old. He's like, it never gets old, Dad. Uh, that's <laughs> so, great. That's great. So That's great. We'll, tell uh, him I'll keep you posted. I want to see pictures and tell him that I'm <laughs> proud of him and good luck. All right. Thank you. And uh, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Sam. And thanks to the fans. Appreciate all the support. Love you guys, and we'll be back next week with more. Thanks, Teddy.